Welcome to the Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. Hello and welcome to this week's Advice and Insights Podcast. This is David Bonson. I'm the managing partner and the chief investment officer of the Bonson Group and bringing you the weekly podcast where we try to take a big topic uh, and dive deep for uh, you to gather our advice and our insights on the subject. And this week, that topic is all the hubbub around the tax reform bill signed into law at the very end of 2017, 2018 being the first tax year that incorporated the new changes passed by Congress, uh, signed by the president. And, and now we're here in the you know, winter and spring of 2019, and all of a sudden there is a lot of discussion as to what exactly the ramifications of the tax bill have been, will be, and, and not just the sort of uh, perpetual discussion about whether or not it's going to raise revenue, whether or not it is adding to the deficit, how it's adding to the deficit, uh, what people think politically about the um, corporate tax reform, whether or not it's uh, incented better economic activity and economic productivity, or whether or not it's been a boondoggle of stock buybacks for the rich. You know, there is all this sort of... Um, political and, and, and I, when I say agendized uh, uh, commentary and color around it, I don't necessarily mean that pejoratively, but just factually, that a lot of the analysis, um, particularly on the corporate tax side of the, the tax bill, is, is uh, accompanied by a lot of strong opinion. And yet right now what we're entering is the kind of tax season for individuals that is leading to a lot of conversation. And a report had come out that year to date through February 8th, tax refunds that had been issued by the IRS were at $10.2 billion, where last year through February 8th, they were had been at $16.7 billion, and the year before, at 18.5 billion, and so so the argument being, well, wait a second, are tax refunds supposed to be lower if everyone just got done having a big tax cut? So then that brought up all the subjects as to what exactly the tax cut was and who got their taxes cut and who didn't and by how much. And there's a couple problems that I feel the need to use advice and insights to unpack. And the first one is the most obvious. And by the way, the one that um, that the other the people kind of contributing to this uh, controversy are well aware of, and that is that the refunds through February eighth were um, we don't know the exact details because we're not privy to it, but we're clearly dramatically behind in processing as a result of the government shutdown that lasted 35 days. And so whether or not the refunds through this point are actually going to prove to be higher than in the past or stay at a lower trajectory or whatnot, we don't know based on the data we had through February 8th because um, the government shutdown was a huge distorter to you know traditional activity and renders year-over-year comparisons somewhat worthless. 
Um, but the second point, and again, I should just sort of end it there. I mean, we just don't know yet, so why everyone's running with that data point is silly. However, there, there of course, is another point to be made too, which is, and I'm just making up the numbers to give you some math. If, in theory, a person was going to owe $5,000 total, and they paid six thousand in in taxes through withholdings and quarterlies throughout the year, and got a one thousand dollar refund. Well, and then maybe in the years past, they had paid eight thousand in withholdings and quarterlies, and then this year got a three thousand dollar refund. The the fact of the matter is, or whatever you see my point. My I guess what I'm getting at is the refund has nothing to do with the total tax liability. The refund is a byproduct of the total tax minus money paid in year prior. And, and so then the difference is what you overpaid becomes the refund. So if withholding levels, quarterly estimates were done at a level higher than the different tax liability on a run rate basis, then, then the, um, uh, the refund, you know, would be higher. And if the withholdings were done at a lower rate, then the refund may be lower. But again, those are inputs that you have to have both of them to be able to get to a bottom line. And, and I fear that I'm not articulating this as clearly as I want to. But on the other hand, I kind of think the reason for that is because what I'm saying is so obvious, it's somewhat frustrating that it needs to be said. To judge the net results of the tax reform bill as far as what it meant to tax liability one has to know the total tax not the refund component only because if someone paid more in in quarterlies and then got less uh, ex excuse me less in quarterlies but more in refund and received more in refund less in refund i keep saying this backwards it's frustrating what i'm getting at let's start over is that if somebody paid less in quarterlies but then and withholdings and then got a smaller refund, it's entirely possible they had a lower tax liability and in fact most pretty much probable versus if they had previously paid more in quarterlies but then got a higher refund. So you have to have both sides of the equation to get the conclusion. And we really don't have to speculate as to whether or not on an apples-to-apples -apples basis, the individual tax measures resulted in higher aggregate tax liability or lower because we know that they essentially result in a lower tax liability for virtually every taxpaying American other than the potential for those with over a million dollars of income, depending on particular circumstances, previously the top tax rate was 39.6%. That came all the way down to 37%. Yet those people, like everyone, lost uh, the bulk of their state and local tax deductibility. So when you net those things out, Again, apples to apples, very few people would have seen a higher tax liability, but in the key high tax states, and essentially we're just talking about California, New Jersey, and New York, and then there's a couple others that could be there as well. 
um, you you may have had a higher tax liability if the person was not in AMT before because the alternative minimum tax was largely repealed in the new tax bill. And if they're not getting that large income they get from being a small business holder, that's an LLC or S Corp, which now is receiving um, a huge deduction on small business tax reform. So are there nuances or pockets of people that again are in the very high six-figure income level, 750 to a million, or something well into seven figures in a high-tax state that happen to not get their income from a, a LLC, you know, S-Corp type business, or in some cases be in an LLC or S-Corp, like, by the way, a financial services firm that I am principal of, or a law firm, both of which were excluded from this deduction. But other than that, most people are receiving that deduction. So between the AMT repeal, small business reform, and not to mention the doubling of the child tax credit, um, more or less the deductions were largely that were largely lost are offset elsewhere, primarily from a reduction in the marginal rates. So we will know in due time how many people on an apples to apples basis, meaning assuming same income, same charitable contributions, et cetera, um, had a higher tax liability with the new bill, which had lower rates but less deductions versus the old bill. But there isn't any debate about the fact that for anybody under $500,000, they were receiving a tax reduction. And for people in the lower end of the spectrum, by raising the minimum income to even have any tax liability at all, the um, overall base of taxpayers, which by the way, I'm not for this. I'm not saying this is a positive. I don't like the idea of having less people with skin in the game but um, that we reduced the number of taxpayers of people had any tax liability at all by 4%. And then um, as far as the, the larger exclusion amount, um, you're going to have less people itemizing. And, and that makes the loss of some of the deductions moot. And chances are people between that kind of $50,000 and $90,000 income level likely do not have a mortgage and property taxes that are so high that they're losing some of that deductibility. There is the state and local tax limit of $10,000 of deduction. And so at the end of the day, I know everyone wants to have a bottom line, but the bottom line is there's virtually nobody who's gonna have their taxes go up. There's a lot of people that the taxes are gonna be about the same and a lot of people whose taxes went lower. And those who did have their taxes go up are very high earners that uh, are in a real nuanced situation in high tax states. And their federal liability only went up because they're in a high tax state and they lost the deductibility of that. So um, was the tax reform overall stimulative? I've talked over and over and over again about CapEx, about the need to see greater business investment. And it is most certainly my opinion 
that we are going to see greater stimulus because of the um, CapEx, but that I think CapEx got interrupted near the end of 2018 as a result of the trade war. Uh, but there is still a need for further data to be able to validate this. Um, overall, revenue has increased, and those that want to uh, look at the deficit um, and pin it on tax reform need to understand that they essentially, you know, tax reform represented a trillion and a half dollars over 10 years of cuts, but that they raise spending by over $500 billion. So this is not a revenue problem. It's a spending problem. And that's not a political point. It's a mathematical point. And what exactly companies have done with the um, corporate cash through the third quarter, our estimate is that $207 billion was put into business investment, $191 billion in stock buybacks, $25 billion in dividends. So that CapEx number is higher than people had forecasted, and, and that was through the third quarter, and we continue to watch for greater evidence of capital expenditures and productivity investment. On the personal tax side, I always said, if you go back to my commentary in late 2017, it was not very impactful at the individual level. It was mostly a nothing burger. It had some degree of flattening of the tax rates, some degree of simplification. Even though I happen to live in two very, the two highest tax states, um, I very much support the elimination of the state tax deductibility at a federal tax return as I consider it to be discriminatory against low-tax states where residents of low-tax states end up subsidizing high-earning residents of high-tax states. But as far as the net tax implication, um, I think it is largely um, a break-even, very small people paying higher amount and then Massive amounts paying lower, but not enough to really be supply-side effective. I'm going to leave our Advice and Insights podcast there this week. I hope it's been useful. You're going to have follow-up questions. You may have follow-up points you want to make. Reach out to us at Insights at thebonsongroup.com. Share your questions, comments. Um, I'll write back to you personally. Um, rate our podcast. Share our podcast. Forward it. Uh, review us, do nice things for us, and in the meantime, we'll continue our best efforts to provide you our advice and insights each and every week. Thank you for listening to the Advice and Insights Podcast. Thank you for listening to our Advice and Insights Podcast with David L. Bonson. The Bonson Group is registered with Hightower Securities, LLC, member FINRA and SIPC, and with Hightower Advisors, LLC, a registered investment advisor with the SEC. Securities are offered through Hightower Securities, LLC. Advisory services are offered through Hightower Advisors, LLC. This is not an offer to buy or sell securities. No investment process is free of risk, and there's no guarantee that the investment process or the investment opportunities referenced herein will be profitable. Past performance is not indicative of current or future performance, and it's not a guarantee. The investment opportunities referenced herein may not be suitable for all investors. All data and information referenced herein are from sources believed to be reliable. 
Any opinions, news, research, analyses, prices, or other information contained in this research is provided as general market commentary. It does not constitute investment advice. The team in Hightower shall not be in any way liable for claims and make no express or implied representations or warranties as the accuracy or completeness of the data and other information or for statements or errors contained in or omissions from the obtained data and information reference herein. The data and information are provided as of the date referenced. Such data and information are subject to change without notice. This document was created for informational purposes only. The opinions expressed are solely those of the team and do not represent those of Hightower Advisors, LLC, or any of its affiliates.